Well, today we're continuing our series on authentic, or on our values, and we're talking about authentic relationships. And so we've been talking about the values of our church these past few weeks, and we'll continue that again next week. Um, we talk about extravagant love, fitting for Valentine's Day, but we're talking about more than that kind of love. But we do want to talk about the reality. We have looked at how God calls us to be his unique people. He calls us people to be people of intentional growth, which is what we talked about last week, how we're not going to grow on our own. That just doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen unintentionally either, but it happens through intentionality. Before that, we talked about extreme generosity, how it's literally the only thing in the scriptures God calls us to test him in is our generosity, and he promises to bless us in ways we never expected. And today we're talking about authentic relationships, and the idea is this. It's simple. Um, None of us here at the church can guarantee you'll meet your best friend here. Can't do that. I can't guarantee that you'll meet someone here who has the same interests and hobbies and shares the same pastimes. I have no way that I can do that. But what we hope is that you can build relationships that help us grow spiritually. So what do I mean by that? The reality is for all of us, we desire to be in relationship with others. I would say it this way. Um, It's what social media is really all about. Initially, there's a long conversation for that. but, um, But the point was people desire to be connected with other people. In fact... Um, It's why there are people who have hundreds, even thousands of friends on social media and yet would love for someone just to go sit down and have a cup of coffee with and have an actual conversation. But the other side of this is true, is that we look for affirmation and relationship and we want authentic relationship wherever we can find it. And so we we want relationship, we will post on social media, whether it's a selfie or an article or a picture or a comment. And we will look to see if anyone has responded or written back because we want to know if there's been a notification because we want to have interacted with someone. Some people are literally trolls on the internet. Christians should not be trolls on the internet. That's a long conversation for another day, not today. But but we want to be connected to people. We want to be in a relationship. In fact, we're created. And so the truth is, we would love to have conversation with others. Now, I know sometimes after personal interaction, we're like longing for online again. I get that. There are people who drain you, and you might rather the online interaction where you can end it and walk away. I get that. But for most of us, we really want to have authentic relationships. We want to know people and be known by people. And so sometimes there are some things that that get in the way of that. And here's what I mean. We... We, a lot of us maybe grew up in a church that bought into this myth that we can know everyone who calls our church home. And the truth is, you never could, unless your church was like three to five people. Because that's literally what studies tell us. We know three to five people intimately. We know about 15 to 25 people fairly well, and they know us fairly well. And then it jumps to like 50 that we know like kind of well, we kind of know them, like, you know, we know their story, we know their kids, that kind of thing. And then it jumps, right? This is, this is studies, Columbia University and others have put out studies that kind of help you see this. Then it jumps to we can know about 600 people. Like we know their name, we know their face. With some prodding, we might get some more information. But that's really about the extent of what most of us can actually know. Three to five, 15-ish, 50, 600. Now, those numbers are not like benchmarks. Like sure, some people do know more people. Some people feel like they have intimate relationship with 10 people. Of course, there are 
expanding beyond that in some areas, but that's the general rule for most of us. But it's also interesting that Jesus kind of modeled this as well. He had three that he was really close to, like exceptionally close, that would have been intimate relationship where they knew each other well. He had 12 he spent a ton of time with. And there were 70 he sent out, and then there were about 500 he appeared to after the resurrection. It's interesting that Jesus, through the Gospels, models for us the reality of how relationships work among all of us. So does that mean we shouldn't try then to get to know other people? We shouldn't try, try to expand our circles? No, that's not what that means at all. But we have to recognize that sometimes our circles can't expand further. But we have to make sure someone's circle is expanding. As so the church exists at one level to help people connect with others in a way that leads to ultimately life change and growth and sharing in life together. So, interestingly enough, did you know, that we spend two-thirds of our life with 15 people. That's it. Two-thirds of our life with 15 people. Now, it's possible those 15 change over time. It's possible that some people come in and out. But think about it. You spend a ton of time with a couple coworkers. You spend a ton of time with a spouse. You spend a ton of time with some family members or some friends. And that circle is only about 15 people deep. It's not a bad thing. But the group beyond that is called like a social social group. So that's kind of how they describe it in sociology. And that social group is about 15 to 25 people. And so that's really our goal as a church is to create groups where that 15 to 25 social circle of yours, your social group, beyond your intimate people, um, that they might be connected somehow from the life of the church. That's why we have connect groups here is because we hope that somehow sharing in life together with that expanded circle might lead to some people that you can share in life with in ways that matter. Now, I want to be clear. I know it's weird days to kind of push that and those kind of things. I get that. But we are encouraging us to figure out ways to connect with people in meaningful relationship and conversation, even if it's virtual or by phone, because we think it matters. So what's that mean for us? We say one of our values is authentic relationships. We probably should start with what is the definition of authentic? We probably get relationship. But here's the definition of authentic. Of undisputed origin. Genuine. I love this definition from Oxford Dictionary and the reason I love it is here's why. I think it should describe Christians. Here's what I mean. There shouldn't be a question of where we come from if we're Christians. We are a follower of Jesus. It should be evident that our origin is the resurrected Lord. And we choose to live from the life of Jesus. Of undisputed origin. We live that way. The second part is this. Genuine, authentic, not fake. That should also describe not only who we are, but our relationships of undisputed origin, genuine, authentic relationships. So what might it look like if we weren't fake, if we were real, if we looked like Jesus? In fact, what we begin to find is this is what Paul so often does in his writing, is he wants us to know, hey, here's what it looked like if you really were a follower of Jesus. 
Here is what it would look like if you embrace the characteristics and the virtues of Jesus. If you live them out, here is what would describe your life. I can't help but think that the values we're talking about as a local community of faith, that even if you don't believe in Jesus, if you embrace these values and these virtues, you would probably live a pretty good life, period. But what if there is something divine, something about God, interacting with us, the person of Jesus that might actually change our lives, and we might find meaning and purpose beyond what we ever knew, and we might find a way of living that truly leads to life. And that's what Paul writes all about. Today we're looking at his text from Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, and Paul writes to the church in Rome, Paul has never been with these people. He wants to know them. He is not in authentic relationship with them, but he is in authentic relationship with God and his And so he writes to them and says, hey, I long to be with you. I long to know you. Here's what I have to say. Here's who Jesus is. And don't forget, Paul, I I always think we sometimes miss Paul's background because I think it's so important. Paul literally used violent persecution towards the church and did a complete 180 in how he lived. I think that matters for us to understand how we then follow Jesus. Here's what Paul writes. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Honestly, I think I could probably stop there for the day. We could just rest on that and listen and reread those again and again and again. And ask, do those characteristics, do those virtues describe my heart and my mind and my life? And if not, why? What do I need to lay down? What do I need to change? How does God need to work in and through me? These are the characteristics of the followers of Jesus. These are the characteristics of Jesus himself. So I was thinking today, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we talk about this? And so rather than me putting this in your bulletin, you can write these down. Um, Dave was letting me know today that, by the way, you have 72 slides today. Now, before you freak out, it's actually half that because we have a blank one between them. So anyway, um, but there are a bunch. There are 21 attributes that I'm going to talk about, just briefly each of them. And here's why. 
because I think we sometimes miss them because we'll read through this. Oh, Paul wrote good stuff. Great. And we move on. But here's what Paul says. Love must be sincere. In fact, the words here for love must be sincere here are unhypocritical. Love. Genuine, not fake. Authentic. Then Paul says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. But Paul's also trying to say here, don't think you can hang around evil things a long period of time and they not rub off at some point. Number three, be devoted to one another in love. One of the great Christian attributes that is really historical in the church is the laying down of our rights in all areas of our life for the sake of others. It's not a Western world attribute, but it is a Christian attribute. It is modeled in the person of Jesus. Number four, honor one another above yourselves. I love this quote. As I was reading this week, here's a quote from William Barclay. He just said this, we must give each other priority and honor. More than half the trouble that arises in churches concerns rights and privileges and places and prestige. Someone has not been given his or her place. Someone has been neglected or unthinked. Someone has been given a more prominent place on a platform than someone else, and there is trouble. The mark of the truly Christian person has always been humility. one he writes is never be lacking in zeal here's the question is your faith life-changing or not live it out with passion make it matter number six keep your spiritual fervor there should be an intensity to our faith it's not like so a friend of mine years ago talked about he was one of those he was at the time he was one of those like obnoxious christians we all know those people Hopefully you're not one of those people who, because their faith matters so much to them, they, like, force it upon you. Um, That doesn't work, by the way. If you're trying that, that just repels people from you. Even other Christians don't want to be around you when you act like that. But there's something winsome, alluring about the love of God that when it's lived out, it invites others in. It doesn't push them away. And if we're pushing them away, we might need to check our own hearts a little bit in that. But at the same time, there should be a spiritual fervor passion for Christ and his kingdom and for the sake of others. Number seven, serve the Lord. Um, Everything we do in life should be an act of worship. Everything, how we work at work, how we serve the church, how we serve in our communities, how we serve our families, all of those activities and actions, those are acts of worship. That's what Paul wants us to know. Then he says this next thing, be joyful in hope. Easy, right? That one's easier. Except we're called to bring hope to places that seem hopeless. Are you and I doing that? The next one we don't like as much. Be patient in affliction. We don't really mean I have to be patient in affliction, right? You don't really mean when something is going wrong, I'm supposed to trust that God is present and in the end, God will make all things right. Yeah, I kind of do mean that. 
Because I think that's what Paul means. And in fact, I think if you look at the words of Jesus, he articulates the same thing again and again. This next one matters for all of us. These attributes, by the way, are not optional for followers of Jesus. They're to be the heartbeat of our lives. Be faithful in prayer. Prayer is not something we just do around the dinner table as we tuck our kids in at night. Prayer is something we do as a way of life. Prayer is the overflow of our conversation with God, communion with God, day in and day out, moment by moment. It is the overflow of our life and our heart and in conversation with the divine creator of all who desperately wants to know us and for us to know share with the Lord's people who are in need generosity should define us period practice hospitality we're generous hospitality becomes the overflow of that some of these next ones are a little harder to be honest with you bless those who persecute you bless and do not when we don't like someone's response to us we're called to bless them not argue our right or our opinion to bless rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn it's easy to mourn with those who mourn right that's really not that hard we can we can offer some sympathy and some compassion and and we can do that But to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to not be envious of what they're rejoicing about sometimes is hard. To celebrate others' great things when we feel like we're in a bad place, that is a spiritual act. It's not easy. It requires a spiritual maturity in our own hearts and overflowing of who we are to be able to do that. Live in harmony with one another. In other words, Don't be the person who causes the conflict. Okay, got that. I understand it here. I don't always get it, right? 16, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You, nor I, nor anyone else is as important as they think they are or as we think we are. Kingdom of God, there is no hierarchy. One of the stories I love is, is there was a in the early church, there was a slave owner who was at church, and they told him to sit by his slave. He said, no, no, I, I don't do that. That's, I'm kind of slave master. That's how that works. He said, yeah, not in the kingdom of God you're not. Sit by him. You're the same. We may have different roles. We may play a different role. Like that, that's true. We have different giftings and different roles and do different things. You don't want me leading in song? You'd rather have Chase do that or Leah or Jordan or Lindsay or whoever else is singing. Anyone else but me, right? At least that's what my wife tells me. I don't think I'm that bad. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If you're wronged, don't retaliate. This one's kind of weird, right? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. What does that mean? It means the world watches how Christians respond. So be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's obviously right, do it. If it's obviously wrong, don't. But this next one, like we like to twist. I'd like to argue it differently, right? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Jesus, Paul, all the early church writers call us to live at peace with others. And you're like, well, yeah, but I can't control the others. You're right. That's why it says, if at all possible. Peace requires two parties, but you can hold up your end regardless of the response on the other side. That's the call of Christ. 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Now, it's interesting that Paul is writing this because Paul was the one pulling the cloaks of others as Stephen was stoned to death, the first martyr in the church, the first one killed for his faith. Paul was standing there watching that, and now he's the one who responds and says this. Oh, I remember standing there watching Stephen being executed. And what does Stephen say? Not you're going to get yours, I'm going to get even. He said, Father, forgive them. 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Wait, my enemy? Like the one who's done the worst thing to me, the one possible thing? You want me to feed them? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Some people want to argue, like, well, see, you're just going to burn their head. Not, not what they're trying to say here. I love what William Greathouse, how he described it this way. He said, Christians, Christian non-retaliation might make their enemies ashamed enough to repent and be spared judgment. But the kingdom of God, more than anything else, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with Good. Evil cannot be conquered by evil. Hold this line. Only when our enemies become our friends can we overcome evil. One of these words from William Greathouse, he was a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, biblical scholar, and he wrote these words that I think are poignant for us today. He says this. Paul's point in this context is not that the cause of good always triumphs over evil in battle. It is not that good people ultimately win and bad people lose. This is not a tactic for victory at all. This is advice for suffering believers. Treating your enemies well may turn them into friends, bringing an end to their evil. Paul emphasizes the converting power Whereas vengeance simply intensifies hostility, answering enmity and injury with love and kindness can affect reconciliation. It can sure look and sound like Jesus. I mean, if you're like me, you're going, okay, I like some of these, but some of these, I don't know about this. I'm just not sure I get it. I'm not sure I'm in on it. I'm not sure I like it. I'm not sure I want to do it. And then it's probably important for me to point out how Paul began this particular chapter in his letter to the church in Rome. He began with these words, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This particular way of life that Paul calls us to doesn't make sense in any culture in human history except the kingdom of God. It literally requires a transformation of our mind for us to live the way Jesus calls us to live. But there is something winsome about a people who buy into this. 
There's something winsome about a people who worry more about the sake of the other than they do themselves. There's something winsome about a people who care more about caring for their enemy than for themselves. There's something winsome about the kingdom of God who embraces these values as a way of life. And there's something about people who live this way who have different relationships with others. So what our relationships look like if we embrace these virtues? I'd say it this way. Love is way more about what we do than how we Love is more about what we do than how we feel. So authentic relationships centered in the person of Jesus can literally change the world. And sometimes it happens even here in our community. And so we're going to watch a clip about that. Ladies, thanks for joining me for a conversation on authentic relationships. Conversation having on the way in which we have certain values that shape the life of our church and the life of our people. So um, you guys want to just kind of just share your stories and the way um, your, specifically your group has been impactful in your life. And as you found authentic relationship has led to deeper spiritual growth. So I'll just kind of let you share in whatever order you want. So I remember in uh, the spring and we were about two or three weeks into the very first COVID stay home order. And um, my grandpa was taken to the hospital and he was not doing very well. And the ladies never hesitated to reach out to me with um, prayers and encouraging messages. And it wasn't a couple days later that my grandpa passed away. And even though it was a time of great loneliness and fear around a new pandemic. Um, the ladies still managed to gather um, gifts of love and leave them at my uh, doorstep. And in a time when you couldn't um, share a hug or meet for a cup of tea, um, it was really um, it made me feel really good and it made me feel really genuinely cared for. Thanks for sharing, Andrea. Heidi, would you share your as well? Well, I've known well, Andrea and Kate for my group for quite a while. I've kind of noticed with each other. But it wasn't until I joined this church, Connection Point, and got involved in the small groups to where I got to know these people at a different level. And we, um, we've been able to laugh a lot. We've um, confided in each other. And we've just grown to support each other um, and our families as well. And so it just makes you feel like you have just made those connections. Thanks, Heidi. Kelly, you want to share with us just some ways that uh, you've seen authentic relationship lived out or put out uh, in your family or spiritually? Uh, kind of take it from there. All right. I have known Heidi and Andrea for a long time. Um, our husbands would work together, and Heidi I knew from the school. But when I started coming to Connection Point is when we really formed more of a deeper connection. 
And now these girls have become like, like my tribe. Like I feel like if I'm going through something rough and I ask for prayers, I know they will immediately stop what they're doing. And I know when they're having a hard time, my first thing is I need to do something for them. I need to pray for them. I need to do something that's going to help them and show them the love that I, that I feel. I feel like the small group has really helped me spiritually. On Sundays, I used to never go to church. Kind of embarrassing to say. Um, but now I really look forward to Sundays. I look forward to seeing my friends. And they are like my family now. Thanks, guys, for sharing. And um, is there anything else that you just think of that you, when you think of the way people would impact on your life or anything else you'd rather like to share with us about just just the way you got to been working in your family or in your life because of these relationships that you've built and how you've been able to, you know, the value is authentic relationships, not that we have a relationship. We have, we have a relationship with lots of people, but there's something about authentic means it's genuine. And so is there anything in particular that comes to your mind when you think of just, this is a genuine friendship or relationship? I feel personally like my family has almost grown by being part of, um, these ladies' lives and our families are all friends, the kids and the husbands and wives. And I feel like um, these are the people that I can go to um, for anything. And um, we all have friends throughout church and throughout our lives. And, um, but it's just a new connection that's been made to where these are, like Kelly said, these are my people and people that I can go to um, no matter what. Well, thank you guys for sharing with us today. And we just appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable because <laughs> I know this is not in your wheelhouse. It's not something you'd love to do. And so we're just thankful that you're able to share what happens often when we gather together and we invest in the lives of others. And the part I, I love that you've all told me separately, uh, they didn't necessarily share today, but that's okay, is the fact that um, your relationships were, were minimal to begin with. But by virtue of the life of the church and committing to a group together, you've watched over time as you've grown, not just with each other, but grown spiritually in that. And so just thank you for your willingness to, to, to dive in. So hopefully others will, will take your lead and, and join groups when we can again. So thank you. We can't change others, but we can choose to change. Authentic relationships often stem from a willingness to grow. And here's the challenge with that. Authentic relations require us to be in relationship with people who can say hard things to us. So for all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, I have a simple question. Who is discipling you and who is mentoring you? And if you don't have an answer to that question, get an answer. Seek it out. Find someone. And here's the challenge for us. Authentic relationships call us to think of others for ourself, but not at the expense of ourself. So what might happen if these characteristics impacted all our relationships? What might happen if we embrace them, if we live them out? What might happen if we were people who lived authentic relationship? So here's the challenge. Let's live authentic relationships with one another and with God. Here's where the confession part for us comes in. We 
confess to God the ways in which we know we don't measure up to who he's calling us to be, but we trust that in our confession, he wants to change us so that we can become all that he is calling us to be. And one of the ways we embrace that as a practice here as a community of faith is through taking communion together. And so um, if you're home online, you can hit pause, which is kind of a cool thing about being online, right? Um, You can pause this. If you're in the room, you hopefully grab one of these little things as you walked in today. And so we'll take communion today in just a few moments, and, and in a moment I'll pray for us as we prepare to do that. But just want to mention today that we take this as a way of confessing publicly before one another of our need for God's grace and his mercy and his love, our thankfulness for what Christ's death and resurrection offers us. At the same time, our desire to be continually transformed and renewed. Because maybe today what we need is for God to renew our mind. To transform who we are and how we think and what we see. So that we might look more and more like the person of Jesus. If we call Jesus Lord, then we gather at his table because he loves us. Pray with me. Father, this morning as we prepare to take communion together, we know that your grace is present, that your love is evident in who we are by the work of what you have done. Yet we know as we read the words of Paul today, who calls us to to live in community, in relationship with one another, to live peaceably in harmony, and these kind of things that they sound really great on paper, but they are really hard in practice. So we ask today that you would help us to live these things out in practice. That we'd repent of the ways in which we fall short. That we would lay before you the ways in which we we know we don't yet measure up. But we do that with the humility and the courage and the hope in the God who not only sees us where we are, but desperately desires to transform us so that we do look like the people who are defined by these characteristics. Who live lives embracing these virtues who live from a place of radical love. From that radical love, we might find even deeper, authentic relationships. We might truly be people who live from a place who have hearts and minds from an undisputed origin. The origin of the person, Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us as we prepare to take communion today. We confess, repent, or acknowledge our need for you. We recognize something about the grandness and the grace of God that invites us all to his table. And then we would be the kind of church who works really hard trying to help everyone feel connected. And so, Father, we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. When the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he took a cup that wasn't this little plastic one, thankfully. He said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. It's through the sacraments, communion, and baptism in which we say these are outward signs of inward graces. They're public 
declarations of God's mercy and his love and his forgiveness. It's the reality that God comes to us. So this morning as we have received his grace, may we be people who not only receive it, but may we be people who give it. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. For the way you come near, for the way you offer your grace and your mercy to us, especially when we don't deserve it. And the great thing about your love and your mercy is that you don't leave us where we are, but you desire to change us and transform us so we we not only see what you have done, but we become more and more like your son. So may your spirit work in our minds, in our lives, in our hearts, so that the person of Jesus is evident in all that we say and do. Father, we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name.